A year ago this weekend, many churches made the difficult decision to close their doors indefinitely. No one knew for how long, many assumed a few months, perhaps. I was preaching at a church in New York at what would be the last in-person worship service to date. We wrestled with misinformation as we were wearing medical gloves, but no masks. Some had chosen to be in person, but most stayed home as they were advised by the pastor. I knew we were all headed into uncharted territory when several leaders got choked up throughout the service, causing tears to spill out of all of us. I wept in my sermon as I stared out at the almost empty pews, pews that I had hoped would be filled with kids I had taught and the elders I had missed. My compounding grief burst forth as I tried to make sense of the teachings of Jesus, teachings that encourage us to go boldly into the unknown, teachings that tell us to let the dead bury the dead, teachings that prompt us to take nothing for our journeys but Jesus. I remember thinking, what about our grief? What about our broken hearts? What about our disrupted rituals? What will become of our untouched sanctuaries? Who will be left out when this is all over? What will be left when this is all over? Our hopes and dreams were dashed with each passing month. With each postponed or canceled event, the centering of our grief and suffering grew to insurmountable heights. Where was God? Where was relief? Had God hidden God's face from us? Was this going to be the death of us, the death of our institutions, the end of the world as we knew it? So many questions, so few answers. Yes, it was the end of the world as we knew it, but not for all of creation. As spring came in, the flowers bloomed as if nothing were wrong. The birds chirped louder than ever before. I have to imagine that maybe it was our stillness that made them louder than before. The rain fell and the wind blew. All of creation hadn't experienced the same renegotiation of existence that humans had. How callous my hubris was on that tragic day, the Ides of March. How dangerously colossal the human ego is at times. So often we center ourselves as the ultimate concern. 
Our contentious relationship with death feeds our anxieties. The likelihood of these fragile human bodies giving out on us, returning to ash against our will, shape our interactions with God, and androcentric theologies have us desperately bargaining for our survival. I walk through this nave and sanctuary often, opening the doors to pews that have been mostly empty since March 8th, 2020. I run my fingers across the surface of the wood or the hymnal. And these particles of dust meet my fingertips and I am reminded ever so slightly that something has been happening in our absence. There has been movement in our absence. There has been organization and perhaps life in our absence, in the silencing of our human sounds and the stilling of our human motions. Has the dust found a way to praise God? I imagine the dust mites rejoicing in our absence, finally free to exist without human interruption. I, I wonder if they danced through the air around the chandeliers, marveling at a freedom unknown. Has the dust found a way to testify in our absence? Have these empty pews found a way to testify, to give evidence as a witness, to serve as proof of something's existence? Is this fine, dry powder consisting of tiny particles of earth and waste matter serving as a witness? Is the loose earth that is carried through the air before resting on the wood evidence of something's presence in this place, even in our absence? In our separation from each other, have the minuscule fragments come together to praise God anyhow? David the shepherd might not think so. In the 30th Psalm, we meet David in reflection as he walks us through a time when God had delivered him and his people from trials and tribulations with a despair that many of us can taste so vividly in this hour. David pleads with the Lord Adonai to have mercy on him. What advantage is there in my death? David cried. What will you gain if I am silenced, if I am no longer here? When I am dust to dust, my songs and my stories of you won't sell. Will the dust then praise you? For many of us, we found ourselves questioning God in a similar tone. With each 100,000 death mark we've passed since last March, what advantage is there in our death, Lord? What will be gained? What has been gained by our silencing, by our separation, by the demise of over half a million people in this country? Will the dead testify? Will the dust praise you? I thought while sitting with this psalm 
How arrogant of David to think that any piece of God's creation, no matter how small or seemingly inanimate, wouldn't be capable of serving as proof of God's existence. Surely the dust mite is a witness. Surely the roach that crawls in the corner has a testimony. How arrogant of me or you to think that the fragments of creation wouldn't eagerly show themselves to be witnesses in the work of the creator. Biblical scholar Richard Clifford reminds us that the theme that God should save a psalmist because the dead do not praise God is common in the Psalms. The guilt trip of of God was apparently ordinary in Psalms of lament and pleas for deliverance. God, if the humans aren't around, who will rub your ego? If I die, surely the dust can't praise you like I can. Hubris and ego, this division that David sets up between himself and the dust is one that lingers. Even in our Lenten reflections, our coming from dust and our inevitable return to dust, there is a somber separation that we make as we sit with this distinction between living and dead. But is the dust dead? Perhaps the question isn't, can it testify, but can it live? Dust can be anything from invisible smoke to dead skin to sand and soil or to the Milky Way galaxy. Everything in our solar system began as a cloud of dust. Gravity swept gazillions of particles together and the elements shaped and formed themselves into the earth and the moon and the star. Dust is very much alive. Dust has creative possibilities. Dust is common and so are we. And nothing kills our egos more than realizing just how ordinary and insignificant we are in the grand scheme of the universe. That the Milky Way galaxy and the soil beneath our feet are likely made of the same materials that we are is both terrifying and sobering. David doesn't think of himself as common. We do not think of ourselves as common. In our cries to God for deliverance from anguish, perhaps our fear of returning to dust is not so much connected to our fear of mortality, but a fear of commonality. We are afraid to be common. We fear that when it is our time to be transformed back into the particles that we will mesh into the earth into a pile of nothingness. Our grief is compounded by a fear of commonality as we look down on the dust with disdain and disavowal. But the dust is alive. If the existence of this universe has proven anything, it's that the dust is resilient. And could there be something to be learned from its resiliency? I don't know about you, but I dust my house quite often, and 
I'm sure you've taken out a dust mop or a towel in your home and given the surfaces a good cleaning. Your breathing clears up after you dust. Everything is shiny until a few weeks later when you notice the dust has reappeared. What was clean for a time is now dirty. Somehow, even in the tidiest of environments, the little particles from your hair and your skin, from your pet and your venting system, from outside the home, from outside the planet, yes, extraterrestrial particles, find a way into your home to come back together and build themselves up again into something recognizable to the human senses. Dust is resilient in that way. It has transformational possibilities. Environmental philosopher Michael Martyr says, when a star explodes in a distant galaxy, super hot gases vaporize everything nearby. Then the dust settles. This extraterrestrial dust contains tiny pieces of extinguished stars and the building blocks for a future celestial body. I find it interesting that even after its decimation, the loose particles of the star are already on their ways to building up something new to regathering and reorganizing themselves. Resilient is the dust. And could it be that even after this year of decimation, that there are fragments coming together to build something new in our lives? Could it be that amidst all of the compounded grief and the gut-riching losses, there is a testimony of the dust waiting for us to put the building blocks together? For God gives crowns of beauty instead of ashes, the prophet Isaiah says, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Can the dust praise God? Yes, my friends. Its praise is connected to its resilience. Can the dust praise God? If the rocks can cry out and the seas can roar, if floods can clap their hands and the hills can sing together with joy, surely the dust has something to tell us about God's creation at work. Surely the dust can be proof of the transformational possibilities at the hands, calling us to recognize, to redesign, to reshape ourselves into something that exceeds our wildest imaginations. The dust is alive. And the collection of dust is not always a sign of doom or death. To the human eye, one expectant of grandeur and spectacle, its testimony may seem insufficient, but it is proof that something is happening in the atmosphere. Something is transforming, something is evolving, and could we learn from the way the dust mite dances in our absence?
though unhealthy for our respiratory systems, could we learn from the gathering and the regathering of matter as we contemplate our own regathering in this season? But the dust doesn't just gather for its own good. It is said that one train car of dust is swept from the Saharan desert every four seconds. The Baudelaire Depression in the Republic of Chad, the largest source of dust in the world, is responsible for fertilizing half of the Amazon rainforest. All of creation is conspiring without us to take care of itself, to nourish itself in our absence and without our direct help. Life is being born from fatal fragments. The regenerative opportunities of resilience are boundless and bold. Life can be given in this season. It can be born in this season that we've rightly associated with death. And I don't know what all of that is going to look like. I am but one speck of possibility in the creative scheme of this community. But when we regather and we reform ourselves, what will we give life to? Whose forest will be fertilized by our regeneration? What will be created as evidence of God with us in this time of trial? Will our dust testify? Amidst the deadly stench that has lingered for a year, often unattended, the dust says, I am here. I am a witness. Amidst the chaos and camouflage by political mayhem and governmental failure to support and care for its citizens, the dust says, I was here. I'm a witness. Amidst the buried headlines of the thousands of deaths still happening each week, the dead and the dust cry out loudly, I was here. I'm a witness when things go back to normal. Don't forget about this moment. I was here. And when there is no more breath in my body, when there are no more tears to be cried, the dust will reshape and reform itself. It will regather It will feed its ecosystem and it will say, I was here. I am a witness. If we are ashes and we are dust, then we too must be a witness in this moment. A witness to injustice, a witness to our pains, a witness to our small victories, a witness to the innovation that has come out of our isolation, a witness to the ways our decimated dreams and inconsolable griefs have somehow carried us evidence to the fact that every day something has tried to kill us and has failed. Something has tried to kill us, Lucille Clifton says, and has failed. 
Beloved, before we rush off rejoicing today, might we settle like the dust? Might we allow space to just sit and breathe and cry? Might we cry? Might we lament? Might we reflect? Space to let our hearts and minds regenerate. Space to let the creativity blossom naturally like the flowers in the spring. And after the settling, when the fresh wind of the spirit, the Ruach, sweeps us out of our resting places, we'll be ready to build anew, refreshed and reformed, reorganized and reshaped and redesigned like the dust. In the name of all that is sacred and holy, let us become the dust and testify. Amen.